Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Bronick, and today I'm joined with John Mark McMillan, who is a songwriter, musician, and artist. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Bronick, and thank you so much for joining this episode today with John Mark McMillan. Thank you for your continued support as well. For those of you who have been tuning in for some time now, I uh, always appreciate you checking out another episode. If you have not done so already, if you wouldn't mind subscribing um, to iTunes, just so you can see these episodes pop up all the time on your feed. I know if, if you're like me, if, if I don't subscribe to it, I'm not going to see any future episodes unless someone sends me a link, uh, which does not always happen. Another way that you can support is by sharing the Guys Like Us podcast on social media and by giving us a rating and review. Um, give us five stars on iTunes. And that is the best way to show some love for the podcast. Well, anyways, today's podcast with John Mark McMillan, he is a singer-songwriter and just a, a great artist. I'm really excited to dive into this episode today because we discuss his album, Peopled with Dreams. And yes, the first question you might be asking is, what does peopled mean? Well, he explains that in this episode. This was recorded in March, and at least within the United States, the coronavi coronavirus COVID-19 was really taking off and taking flight. And so we discuss a little bit about kind of what this uncertainty and change has been for him with his tour. Um, and then, yeah, we dig into more about his journey and uh, just more about kind of the song and songwriting, worship music. And we, we cover a lot as usual. So without further ado, here's my conversation with John Mark. John Mark, thanks so much for joining me in the Guys Like Us podcast today. Yes, thank you so much for uh, having me. My pleasure. Um, so I, I'm uh, I'm up up here in Boston. Where are you tuning in from right now? I am uh, at home in Charlotte, North Carolina. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, this is um, quite quite the time we're in now. Um, can you uh, can you I guess tell me how things have been going for you personally? Since um, I know that your tour is getting pushed back until summer and fall, um, how has uh, kind of the 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 things of the world and just what's been going on with with coronavirus um, impacted your um, your your tour? Yep. Well, so initially uh, we saw the coronavirus thing coming, and I was like, "This is a terrible time to be doing the tour." Yeah. But also, um, you know, you can't just cancel a tour. I basically have contracts with all of these different venues. Yeah. And so if I cancel, you know, they could say, Hey, well, um, we spent this amount of money and we didn't book another group. So, you know, uh, so that was really, that was really stressful. Um, yeah. once things got so bad that, um, everyone knew that this was not a possibility, everyone canceled and we rescheduled. Um, and so it's almost the stress level lightened as things got worse, if that makes sense, yeah. or at least on my end. Now, obviously, like my band guys and crew, they are looking at having no work for a couple of months. And even a lot of those guys will wait tables or, 
Um, You know, some of them are, you know, bartenders or they play at churches or other venues. And so they're out of work completely for the next couple of weeks. So it's really, it's really a bad deal for them. And I'm trying to think of ways to help them make a little bit of income in the interim. But for me, the stress was sort of, uh, I was in a sense somewhat relieved when I realized, okay, at least as far as the decision itself was easy one to make, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's not fun. It's not exciting and it's a little sad, but honestly, I would rather be all or nothing. I'd rather move the tour yeah. than uh, than try to like tour through this like really, really difficult uh, season of life for a lot of people. Yeah. So, yeah, but other than that, you know, the kids are home from school, yeah. which is a challenge, you know, to keep working with the kids home. Yeah. Uh, but as a whole, like personally, I'm doing great. I, I am concerned for the community. I'm concerned for single parents who yeah. may not know what to do with their kids. I'm concerned for the kids who go to school with my kids who eat breakfast and lunch at school and mm-hmm. maybe they don't have meals now that they're out of school. I'm concerned for small businesses mm-hmm. and small business owners who coffee shops that have to close for between two, six or eight weeks. A lot of those people, um, you know, are freaking out right now. So I'm, I'm doing fine personally. I'm more concerned for the other people in my community who are in maybe more difficult situations than myself, and and honestly, kind of praying about how to help them. I mean, I really don't know what I could do. Um, restaurants that are open and serving, you know, takeout food. We want to order from those restaurants. Yeah. If there's a coffee place that's doing. Uh, serving coffee, you know, like, uh, I don't know. The dry, I don't know if they're doing drive-through. I do have some friends to do drive-through coffee. Anyway, but, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm trying to think of ways to, like, yeah, help out. Uh, you know, I don't have a, a big plan right yet, but that's right. more of my concern, I guess. All right, right. No, and, and thank you. And I think it's been, it's kind of hitting, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of people are responding in a lot of different ways, right? And so there's you're hearing a lot of information. Um, at once and it's changing it almost seems like it's changing every single day so you're trying to uh almost kind of take one day at a time um mm-hmm. for uh for a lot of that i think that's kind of a i think there is some good that is coming from that of um really grounding us in every moment and being grateful for what we have um but also and I, as you and as you named um stepping out and helping or trying to f- be creative and help out uh, small businesses, people that are, are impacted, um, you know, with kids that are, they're going to be home. I couldn't have imagined being home for that long without something to do. So, um, figuring out how to keep kids engaged and still learning and kind of, you know, I think there's this in- interesting tension of keeping things going, um, while also trying to, uh, be really cognizant of the changes that are happening, um, and managing those effectively. So, it's a really, I mean, it is an interesting, interesting time, but it almost, it almost feels like it's we're getting, we're talking about it so much that we're, um, we're, I don't know. There's just this, this interesting overtalk. It seems like, but um, I think it's necessary. Yeah, totally. And I, I just think people don't know what to talk about because yeah. everything is coming to a stop, to a halt. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it is really interesting. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Well, well, hey, what's um. Let's let's transition into uh, into your latest album, um, and actually just kind of more of your 
I guess your career in general before we jump into your album. Sure. Um, I think one theme that um, I, I've just been really curious about, and I think I'm sure you deal with, is um, for for you being in the in the music industry for you know around 20 years. Um, how kind of how have you been? How have you dealt with uncertainty? Um, kind of throughout throughout that time. And I guess, yeah, how, how do you move forward in, in the midst of uncertainty? Well, okay, so I think, first of all, we have been really, really lucky, my wife and I. Yeah. And I think that we were in a lot of ways prepared um, for a lot of the changes in the music industry because we were already yeah. independent. Yeah. So we didn't have a massive overhead like a lot of artists do. Um and so um, we, we also have had, you know, publishing has been really good to us. And, and yeah. so we've sort of been, uh, we've had the opportunity to learn and grow as things change. And we haven't been stuck and haven't, um, haven't, you know, like we didn't depend on album sales the way probably a lot of people did, yeah. you know. Um, and so as that's changed, it's been complicated, but we've been able to change with it. Um I think the flip side is I think what's happening in the music industry is really just a precursor to what's going to happen in uh, a large part of the rest of the world. You know, um, I, I remember I went, I took my kids to a science museum recently and they screen printed a toy. I was like, this is a lot like streaming a toy, you know, and astronauts are screen printing tools, you know, Mm -hmm. in space and, uh, I've seen videos of robots hanging sheetrock, you know, yeah. I've seen people screen print, screen print isn't the word, but 3D print uh, a house, mm-hmm. you know, it's very small houses, but they set these uh, sort of concrete things up on two by fours and they screen print these small houses. And it's, it's a cool thing. They're able to build houses in parts of the world where a lot of people don't have homes, you know, build a bunch of very small homes. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me is like the whole world is headed in this direction and it's headed really fast, you know, taxi drivers and Uber, uh, hotels and Airbnb, like this is coming for all of us, you know? And so I guess I'm more of a, if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing, Yeah. you know? So like a lot of people fought Spotify for a long time and artists wouldn't post their stuff on Spotify, especially in the worship community, which I don't understand. Um, yeah. They seem to be sort of some of the holdouts now you just can't even do that anymore it just doesn't make sense you know you're yeah. going to lose your audience because that's where the people go to hear music you know they're on the yeah. streaming platform so it's really a better to just join them and move forward in sort of the current state of uh the industry yeah. you know so for me i think that if you are providing something of real value to people you know providing something of real value then uh, if you can, if you can last, if you can live, if you can survive while you're doing that, if you do it long enough and you're smart, you can figure out ways to monetize it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can figure out ways to make it. But I think the most important thing, though, is that you're providing a real value to people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if if it's just about tricks and algorithms and that kind of stuff, you know, I don't know how long right. it, you can last. But if you're actually providing something that feels like you're really providing a real service to people, then if you can hang in there long enough, you can figure out how to make it work. And so I think that's what I tell young, young musicians, young entrepreneurs 
and and even ministry people mm-hmm. you know like don't think first about like um how this is going to be your job like your first question is like how does what i do serve anybody mm-hmm. and what type of value am i bringing to people because mm-hmm. so many people get a little bit entitled they you know like and this could go for whether you're an author or whether you're a business owner, you know, but as a musician, like one of my first rules is that your audience doesn't owe you anything. Yeah. Your audience owes you nothing. And that's like, these all these kids, kids, all these young people posting things on Instagram and posting things on YouTube and they want to know how to make it, you know, and they get frustrated. And I think the first rule, the first thing I want to tell them is that your audience doesn't owe you a thing. Your audience owes you nothing. And once you understand that your audience doesn't owe you anything, then you can figure out, okay, then why would someone care about what I'm doing? Why would anyone care about what I'm doing? I have to provide a real value to them. And if you do that, then and you do it long enough, people will care. Yeah. You know, but if but if that's not your what you know, whether it's a selfish motive or not, it really doesn't matter in the sense that you know, to be successful, you have to provide real value to people, you know? And so, and honestly, it's, 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 um, even that is a kingdom thing, you know, is the greatest is the servant, you know? So how are you providing, what are you providing for people that other people aren't providing? And anyway, I think if you can do that, even with all the changes, you can figure out how to make it. At least that's my, um, my position. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I, and I think that service, way of looking at it is I think a really helpful way to, um, to think about your audience and just to think about where you're giving from too. out of, you know, if if it's, if you're giving out of service, then it's going to be something where you, you have something to give. Um, but if you're not, if if it's something where, you know, you're giving out of a hole or a void, then it's just, you're not going to be able to give your full self into the work that you're doing. Yeah, totally. And I'm curious because this is a change I've been noticing in, in, at least for worship music, and I'm curious to, to hear kind of from your perspective on, um, uh, you'll see a lot of uh, artists now doing like, they'll have two songs. They'll have kind of their studio version, and then they'll have like a live experience version that's on iTunes. And so I think that there's this real shift back to this experiential, or even kind of forward into this experiential component where, you know, when I'm listening, I almost feel like I'm kind of part of that song in a, in a sense. And, and I think that's, you know, I think that same dynamic is captured in, in like a live show or like a lot, like, you know, on tour. Um, I think obviously I think the, the physical and the personal dynamics are super important to think about. Have you kind of, have you processed through that at all? Or have you kind of noticed that change on your end? Well, so what's really interesting is even though I've written some worship music and I, and ultimately I call it all worship music, mostly because I don't want to give anyone the opportunity to write to sort of define for me what is and isn't worship music, you know? But I also understand, you know, if people are talking about worship music in the conventional sort of church programming or church content sense, like as far as that goes, like I have written songs that are, that do that, but to be honest, I spent yeah. most of my time outside of that world, yeah. you know? So right. I don't always know what's going on in the worship world because I don't, yeah. you know, I really don't know. And if I'm honest, I I have some worship music I like, but I just, I don't listen to a lot of it. Like, I don't yeah. really know what's going on in that yeah, yeah. in that world overall. But, so the, the reason the live, the reason people are putting out two versions of the song is mostly because 
because sales are basically non-existent anymore yeah. or for the most part. So there's still a couple anomalies out there. There's still a large group of people out there who buy one album a year. And, and you know, so if you're Hillsong maybe yeah. or Adele or Beyonce or one of the, the like t- super top 0.001%, yeah. 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 then, um, you know, then a bunch of people still go buy those records. Like Adele broke like the record for like broke some of the Beatles records and everyone's scratching their head, but it's because she was the one album all those people bought that year. But for people who regularly listen to music and you're regular music goers, there are no sales anymore. Yeah. You make some money off of Spotify. You can make a little bit, but usually that money that you make off of Spotify is really what pays for you to record the record and market and promote the record. So the the reason you see a shift back into worship music is because they're back into not worship but specifically church programming and i don't mean to use these sort of crass terms but you know just to be clear sure um it's because there's a lot of uh money in the church programming side there's a lot of publishing money there Mm. you know which is fine it's 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 legal and it's kind of cool you serve churches and you know but the problem well i won't talk about the problem yet but i'll explain the reason people put out the live version of the album is because you're not and I hate to use this terminology because it sounds so like just <laughs> you know uh, businessy. Yeah. But um, the reason you see a lot of the live worship records is because you're not just selling the song to the individual; you're also selling the song to worship leaders. And and it's kind of like selling a house. Like when you go to sell a house, even if you don't live there, you stage the house, you put furniture in the house, which is is technically irrelevant because. Uh, it doesn't. You're not buying the furniture. You're buying the house. But just statistically, people are more. People know. Good realtor knows that people are more likely to buy the house if it feels like someone is living there. It's just a psychological thing. But it's the same with worship music. Worship leaders are more likely to play your worship song if they hear a bunch of people singing along. Yeah. And so, it's not. That's not an exciting explanation. But that's the reason you have all of these two versions of the songs. You know, I still, I like live records. I'm not down on live records, but this is sort of what's, what's sort of, um, causing the trend, Yeah. you know? And I would say that the only real downside is that, um, the songs people are willing to sing in church, um, you know, in order to make money doing that, you have to write songs that a lot of churches want to sing, which means you basically have to reduce things to the least common denominator. Yeah. And so anything that would challenge anyone or be exciting or push people, you know, people are afraid to play those songs. And so it does have this a little bit of a dumbing down effect, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, on the positive, it is really great. And um, I, I think it's really awesome that churches have the resources to support worship and musicians you know in almost any city in the u.s um you know most of the musicians unless you're in la or new york or nashville most of the musicians are going to be supported by local church you know we have hundreds of musicians in my hometown that are supported by local church and a lot of my guys who travel with me they play at churches on the weekend and it's the way they're able to support themselves so that's really cool that the church is supporting the arts in a sense yeah you know, so there's positives and yeah. negatives, um, sure. and I hope that didn't sound too businessy. You know, because I'm I really do love what I do. I I don't want it to sound like all business, but that's kind of what's happening as far as the live versions of the songs. That's why you have both yeah. versions. No, I and I appreciate that 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 kind of background understanding because I I'm not you know I'm not in 
or a very I'm, I'm not very close to that to that world so it's helpful yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. seeing in a little bit um but hey yeah i would love to to shift into your to your recent album too yeah totally into um people with dreams yes um can you talk about i guess just first the inspiration um that led to this album and and also I'm very curious about the naming of the album as well and especially people and not people yes yes so um well so the record initially i um i'd finished touring um you know on the mercury lightning record and we were going through some big changes we bought a new house we were renovating and we're going through massive changes in my business and i just felt kind of stuck i didn't know what to do um and i was just in one of the weirdest moment of my life (laughs) one of the weirdest moments of my life where technically I had been real successful, but I was really bored. And I, I felt like I had lacked purpose. Mm. And I realized that I had sort of, I'd sort of decided I'm just going to be the artist. I'm going to let all this sort of business stuff, I'm going to hand this over to somebody else and to a team. And I'm just going to do my thing. And then, you know, and not engage in these other areas. And I realized over, over time, um, I took some time off. I started spending two to three hours every day studying um, and uh, journaling. And I realized that like, while I was, you know, making music that I was proud of my sort of um, my, if you want to say my business as a whole, um, you know, and once again, we're talking, I don't want to just use the word business, but what I was doing, I I lacked vision on the, you know, as a whole. And so I just sat down and said, well, why am I even doing this? You know, like it can't be, just to make money because there are easier ways to make money than making music that's for sure you know um it can't be just for fun um because you know i've got kids now i've got a family and i can't it can't just be just for a thing to do like there has to be a greater purpose plus if there's not a greater purpose i'm like then uh, you know then i don't know what what to work from you know, and so I decided, like, I need to define what my purpose is in this season, you know, yeah. and what do I really, really want to accomplish? And at first it started out pretty, um, uh, pretty abstract, you know, mm-hmm. and but slowly over time, I started to I started to um, start to get more and more specific. And I decided my purpose um, was gratitude. My purpose was gratitude, mm-hmm. not just to be a grateful person, but I wanted to help people experience um, gratitude, uh, you know, through my music. And that sounds really basic, but here's the truth. Like so many people, um, myself included, are we're so busy and we live these super busy lives, these super disconnected lives. And a lot of people are depressed. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a million reasons for depression and I'm definitely not a, um, a counselor yeah. or a therapist, you know, but there's a lot of people who I think are living their lives and they're kind of asleep. They're kind of walking in their sleep. Like, yeah. I think very few people stop and realize this, that a per- and even when I say this, some people look at me cross-eyed, but I'm like, this is totally true. This totally can't be. Um, this isn't fabricated. Like you, you have to believe this, that people, if I said that a person, people in general are rare, people are rare, like human beings are a rare thing. When you look at the universe we live in and the closest 
planet where life could exist is generations away. Like if we tried to fly there, if we had the technology to fly there, it would take multiple human generations to even get there, right? So that means for maybe millions of years, even if there is life on the closest, you know, exoplanet, you know, um, which I think is four or five light years away, you know, even if there was life there, there's we, we could never get there in our lifetime or our children's lifetime or our grandchildren's lifetime or our great-grandchildren's lifetime. So you look at the universe as a whole, like we all feel very normal. We feel very common, but there's nothing common at all about life. Yeah. Life is not common. When you, when you look into, when you look out into the universe, our problem is that we are so focused on our little world we feel like we're normal. We feel like we're not special. We feel like we're insignificant when that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, yeah. there's no guarantee that there is any, any other life in the universe, you know, much less something that looks like us, that thinks like us, that loves like us. Like, so just from like, just basic reality, like, you know, we are insanely significant simply because we exist, you know? In most places in the universe, we, we wouldn't even have the opportunity to exist because it, it'd be impossible, right? And then on top of that, most people who have ever lived aren't alive anymore, but we're alive. But see, we live our lives. We live every day in this sort of space that doesn't have time to consider those things. And so because of it, we feel unimportant, we feel insignificant, we feel depressed, Right. And so what I'm trying to do here, someone could easily say, and I would totally agree with this, like someone could easily say, oh, you're, I want to I want to help people experience the love of God. But the problem is that that sort of terminology has been so overused that it's almost people don't understand what that means. It's like, well, here is the love of God for you. Let me explain it in a way that an atheist can understand. Even if you don't believe in God. Yeah. Right. You have to admit this. You are insanely rare, and there is nothing like you for light years, right? You, but you're here. You ought not to exist. Like the odds are that you shouldn't be here, but you do actually exist. So existence, even in and of itself, is an absolute miracle and a gift. And we spend too much time. Uh, we spend too much time asleep to the reality of our significance. Yeah. You know. And so what does it mean to be loved by God, you know? And, and so, and so I, bro I break all this down into, like, how do I help people experience and express and discover their own sense of gratitude, of gratefulness, of significance? You know, art and music in general is a trick. It's a trick we play, right? I make sounds that trick you into feeling a certain way. That's what music does. You know, like you go watch a movie without the music, you feel one way. As soon as you insert the music, you feel differently. If you change the music, you feel differently. There's some cool YouTube videos where they've done that, you know, where they take a happy, you know, intro to a show like, what was the one I saw recently from the 70s? Um, gosh, I can't remember what it's called. It has Arnold and Willis, you know. Anyway, but Good Times. And, you know, I think it was, anyway, I can't remember, but you know, they changed the music to like yeah. this creepy music and all of a sudden you feel differently watching the same visuals. And so what music does is music sort of tricks you into feeling a certain way. And Pablo Picasso said, art is the lie that tells the truth. So if I can do anything, I want to trick your body into feeling the reality of your own significance. 
right? And so I sort of set out to do that with peopled with dreams. And the reason the album is called peopled with dreams, the word peopled, Shakespeare used to do this a lot, where he would take a noun and turn it into a verb, right? Mm -hmm. So the earth has been peopled or populated with mm -hmm. dreams. It's a roundabout way to saying, what if every single person is a dream? What if everyone is a dream of God? What if every person is God experiencing life through you? How does that make you feel about yourself? How does that make you feel about your place in the world? How does that make you feel about the dreams that live across the street from you? You know, so it's sort of a funny little way to talk about uh, the significance of life and existence, you know, to begin with. Yeah, well, I think there's that's really um good way of uh, it's very helpful because there's something a few elements i'm i'm picking up on and i think there's this aspect of chosenness and of uniqueness um on your particular design um and on your on your gifts on your skills on your on the treasures that you have um that are special for you in some capacity and and i think that that yeah i think and i think that that shows this separation that's different from anything else on on earth in the universe um and looking at i think when you're able to appreciate and come to an understanding of that design and that in this particular time and place you're able to really i think just live in the moment and also have something to something to, to dream for and have this bigger vision that you're working toward. Cause I, th I think you always have to have that vision in mind. Um, you know, I, I like to say to myself to have this vision of where you're going and kind of what this king, what the kingdom is looking like, but being able to get rooted and really just find peace in, um, in the day to day. And, um, and so I don't know if that, that was something that kind of came to me when you were, when you were speaking and, um, at least I kind of find, I definitely found that helpful of relating, as you said, to people who aren't in this, who aren't familiar with these terms of what the love of God is, of what, yeah. or, or maybe have heard it so often that they're kind of tired of hearing it and, um, mm -hmm. because they don't know what it really means or why yeah. or how it's meaningful. So, yeah, well, it helps me too with a lot of my bigger questions. You know, and yeah. I mean, it helps me. It doesn't answer those questions. And, right. you know, and I don't want to be offensive to anybody. But sure. when you look at, you know, all the suffering in the world, yeah. you know, sort of like, how do you say that there's a loving God when there's so much suffering in the world? Yeah. And that's a difficult question. And I don't have an answer to that. But what does help me is that I believe that the good and the beauty in the world is greater than the suffering and the pain. Yeah. You know, and that people who love one another and the relationships they have, the love I have for my children, those things like outweigh the pain that's in the world, you mm -hmm. know, and, and maybe people might say, well, it outweighs it for you because you're not experiencing it. Yes, but I will counter with this is that I would propose that even uh, violence and suffering and loss all prove that uh that love and relationship and beauty are greater because and here's why is because uh none of those things would bother us if they were happening to a chair none of those things would bother us if they were happening to a random tree or bush right but when they happen to a person we feel it 
I feel it very deeply, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so to me, that even proves, even even suffering and death and loss, all those things actually prove the beauty and greatness and glory of, of, of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, <laughs> I kind of tackled that theme a little bit on the last song on the album called Ancient and Brave. Brave. Yeah. But these are a lot of the kind of things I was thinking about. And, and honestly, some of them are so heavy and deep and, and so spacey that, I felt like it was really important that the album be fun and not just be heavy and deep. And so I tried to find ways to make the record exciting so that a lot of these heavy elements could be sort of dealt with on layers and they didn't have to be the things we thought of initially. You know, you can enjoy the music on a couple of different levels, you know? Um, But all this sort of going back to gratitude and that's sort of the center of the whole record Mm. is gratitude you know, how do I live in the world? How do I appreciate the world? How do I engage with God in my world now? You know, yeah. how do I get, engage with God in the moment? And how do I engage with God on the universal scale, on the scale of, I don't know, when you look out into the stars and you don't know where it ends, you know? Like, how, how do we engage with God on all those levels, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, and I, the, the gratitude has really been interesting. And you mentioned that you did some journaling um, and gratitude journaling is, I think, one form that has been helpful for me um, in kind of seeing the more abstract um, and being able to kind of articulate my mm-hmm. thoughts um, on a personal level, um, but also in, you know, in things that make sense. But then there's a lot of, you know, journaling that doesn't make sense. So um, kind of putting putting it all down on paper, I think, is really helpful and I mean, I think, and I think a lot of, I, I'm, I'm fairly interested in church history and kind of how theology has kind of changed and developed along the, the path, you know, through the centuries and journaling, uh-huh. journaling in the 18th century was super, super popular in pietism and in uh, a lot of the changes that were happening in New England, um, but also with uh, with John Wesley in Britain and into the United States as well. So I think it's a really it's a really profound method of reflection and um, where you're able to express gratitude. But I think it's something that's that also incorpor- incorporates discipline and it incorporates um, uh, additional self awareness of who you are. Um, and so I think there's just there's just a lot of benefits that. Um, we can kind of, as you mentioned, I think there's different levels to how we can appreciate it. Um, totally. And I think, I don't always know what's going on with myself. So you yeah. have all these different types of thoughts and you don't always have to choose how you feel about a thing. But if you're right. writing it down, at least in that moment, it's not like you're signing a contract, but at least in that moment, you have to choose a thought, you yeah. know, and you have to distill and articulate a thought. Yeah. And I think that's really important to figure out who you are because you have all these thoughts and all these things that are coming at you throughout the day but when you have to sit down and articulate them it helps you to understand yourself a lot more yeah. and it helps yeah. you figure out sometimes you look at your journals and like sometimes i go back and look at my old old ones and i was like good gosh i, I was i i didn't know what was happening back then but yeah. looking back it's so easy to understand what was going yeah. on yeah 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 and that's that's actually a part that i wanted to just touch on is going back to sure, sure to your to your early journal reflections and um, like looking back at those and kind of seeing how things have changed and kind of how yeah how, and how you've changed in that process so um yeah totally is there just on on the album is there kind of a directionality or kind of a purpose to i know there are 
11 tracks. So is there kind of a, a flow or, or how, how do you think through kind of the structuring of um, these songs? Well, we, when we went to sequence the record, yeah. um, and that's always a hard process for me okay. because I usually won't put a song on a record that I don't think could be the first song, yeah. you know, as far as content goes. But um, we actually, this go around, because we knew a lot of people were going to be listening to it on vinyl, um, we sort of took a um, two-chapter type of um, approach. So we decided, then there was a reason people, um, you know, in, in the old days when vinyl was the main way people listened to music, there's a reason that they uh, sequenced the songs the way they did. But we've heard it so many times, you know, I'm definitely an album person, like I yeah. grew up listening to albums, yeah. that it's sort of become a thing. So we, um, we, we took that same approach where it's sort of like we thought of the first five songs as side one, and the, then the remaining six as side two. Hmm. So we wanted to make sure number one felt like the beginning of something, and number five felt like the end of the chapter. Mm. And then we wanted to make sure song six felt like the beginning of a new chapter and song 11 felt like the end of that chapter. And so that helped me a lot within those songs. You know, there's a moment where um, at the end of Hammering Heart, which is would be on the second side if there were two sides. And if you're looking at the vinyl, it is the second side. But where it do, we there's this like, I basically told my friend Everett, who's a string arranger, and a celloist, I want the end of this song to feel like, uh, you know, kind of like yeah. Star Wars, like the god of war, you know, flying into outer space. You know, that's what I wanted to feel like. So there's this massive, massive minute and a half sort of string thing. Yeah. And it's really, really intense. And it lands right into um, the song The Road, the Rocks, and the Weeds, which is a very not intense song musically. It opens up with like, the low me singing these low notes that we sampled and turned into chords and then my daughter yeah. singing. And so it's really interesting as hammering heart is all about, it feels like outer space and it feels like the universe and creation. And, uh, you know, and then, uh, it, then, you know, then the strings just sort of take you like on a flight into the, <laughs> into the universe. And then yeah. the road, the rocks and the weeds, even the title and the theme of the song is about earth and, you know, it's about soil and being in the earth. And so, it almost drops you right into that song. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, but I didn't sit down and think about that when I was making the record. It's just sort of, when we're putting the songs together, you start to see these little things happen. Mm -hmm. okay. You know, and that was one moment that I thought was was almost perfect, the way that the way that happened. But we put a lot of intentionality into the order of the songs, which these days I don't think matters as much, but I'm sort of a old school when it comes to that kind of thing. I, I like the way an album flows, and yeah. I like to listen to a record from beginning to end, even though I don't know how many people do that anymore, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I didn't used to, but now I do, so I and I, so I appreciate people like you who are, who are still um, kind of operating out of, out of, out of that um, way of doing music, so I, yeah, well, I, thank I, do, you. I do appreciate it. Um, just a final kind of few things here before we wrap, sure, sure. wrap up. Um, how do you personally like, because um, I'm sure you have, you know, different times of creativity or when you're kind of most charged and ready to go. How, how kind of, how do you structure your days and your recording and kind of walk, walk, walk us through that process a yep. little bit for you? Sure. And so I have different seasons. 
One season will be like a writing season. Another season will be a recording season and then kind of a touring and promotional season. I wish there was a better word for it, but you sort of, you create it, you know, you sort of envision it, you create it, and then you try and share it with people. That's sort of the three different seasons. So in a writing season, you know, I usually get up, drop my kids off at school, go to the gym, and then I'll go straight home to the guitar or the piano and if i'm if i'm smart and i'm disciplined i will not turn my phone on until just before lunch um because i found that um the any sort of text email um social networking engages a different side of my brain yeah and so you have like you have the uh the creative side of your brain and the analytical side of your brain and the analytical side of your brain, the goal is to um, make sure that your life works. And the creative side of your brain is to, is sort of the part of your brain that like um, obviously generates new thoughts and uh, thinks outside the box and considers things and imagines things. But the problem is a lot of times the right side of your brain acts as an editor and tries to edit the other side of your brain. I don't remember if it's left and right brain, which side of the brain it is, but one, the, your, your intellectual or, or analytical side will act like an editor and will start to tell you that your ideas are dumb before you get to try them, you know? And so for me, like if I can engage the creative side early in the, mor- early in the morning without engaging the other side, then I can get a lot more done because I don't always know if an idea is good until I try it. But most people get hung up. And when you have writer's block, this is most of the time what's happening is your analytical side is trying to determine what to do with the thoughts you're having before you're allowed to develop those thoughts. And a lot of times that comes from success. If you have a lot of success success doing something a certain way, mm-hmm. then you start coming up with an idea and your editor will be like, well, that's not going to be successful, so let's not mess around with that. But if you remember the first time you were successful, you didn't know that was going to be successful until you tried it. You know? Yeah. And so... For me, like, I, you know, I try and write every day during that season for between an hour and three hours. Um, and then after lunch, I'll jump into the emails and, like, getting stuff done, right. you know. Right. So that's loosely how I structure my day. But when I'm writing, I prioritize the writing. And I tell people, and sometimes they can't believe it, but I'm like, literally, if you just don't, don't turn your phone on. If you have to sleep with your phone off or put your phone in the office, you know. Um, don't listen to podcasts at the gym. Listen to this podcast, but don't listen to other podcasts at the gym. <laughs> you know, I you know. But see, when I'm when I'm not in a writing mode, then I, I I listen to a ton of podcasts in the gym. I'm not saying not to listen to podcasts, but what I'm saying is like, don't engage your analytical side of your brain until after you've had those creative moments. And even if you're not like me, like I'm a professional who has a lot of time to do that stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people don't, and I understand because that was that was my life. You know, that was the other half of my life. You know, I spent a good chunk of my life not having time to do this stuff and having to make time. Yeah. You know, so some people have um, this concept called morning pages, and we talked about journaling before, yeah. where you get up and the first thing you do before <laughs> you put your brain in any other direction, before you before you before you move in any other direction, you write three pages. 
And you do that whether you want to or not. And what it does is it engages the creative side of your brain. And sometimes it might take a page and a half for all three, and it's the last couple of lines. And all of a sudden, the, the creative side of my brain is engaged. And if you can engage that, a lot of times that'll last with you all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But definitely the way I wrote the previous album, Mercury and Lightning, is all from my morning pages. Mm-hmm. I would write stream of consciousness every morning. That I'd go do my stuff, go to the gym, go take the kids to school, come home, and then I would, um, or go to my office. I, I used to have an office at that time outside of the house. Um, and uh, I would um, pull lines from the morning pages and I would rework them and, and write songs from those lines, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so a lot of it is just doing it and doing it every day and doing it often and, um, and trying to. And, and trying to keep from editing yourself or overthinking it. You know, later on, you edit it, right? right. You know, like, I've written terrible songs, sure. But you just write them. You, you, you get the idea out. And then later on, you sit there and you're like, okay, now I'm going to decide if this is worth the world or not. Yeah. You know, Stephen King says that. Write the first draft with the door closed, the second draft with the door open. Yeah. But if you try to write the first draft with the door open, you're going to stunt yourself unless you're just one of those special people who doesn't really, uh, who's just constantly plugged into the creative and, um, doesn't really care what people think. But I've found most people, it's a discipline. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. That that's, and, uh, normally I like to be fully present in these, in these conversations, but I did look up the left versus the right uh, brain just to, <laughs> just to make sure. And so it's left is, um, is analytical and methodical in your thinking and then uh-huh. and then right is creative or artistic um just to yeah. clarify yeah so i i think it's um i've found I, and i forget i'm not sure who said this but uh right you know when you're writing a book for example it's like write two crappy pages a day um and so there's this kind of to, to get you going and it's all on that le- just letting the juices flow letting just letting you pour into into this book or into this essay or whatever it is and then coming back and being disciplined in the editing process which at least for me the editing process has been the hardest to stay disciplined to um for you know writing or for podcasts or whatever that might be um Mm -hmm. just that i think and i I think that's that refinement process too and i think that's 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 where you're uh you're going to be more reflective and kind of sharpen the work that you do yeah, definitely. Um, just to, to wrap up here, um, what joy are you finding in this season right now? Wow, what joy. I am finding joy in other people. I love having conversations, and I love, you know, when you are when you're, when you meet a new person, you know, or even, even someone you have known for a long time, but if you take a minute and you think, like, this is the only person like this in the universe. Yeah. You know, take a moment and appreciate the like miracle that's in front of you. Like I've, I've been, I've been finding a lot of joy in that. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, John Mark, thanks so much for joining me in the podcast today. Where can we find, uh, you just kind of support the work that you're doing and stay, uh, stay up to date with all that, all that good stuff. Yep. I'm on the Instagrams, Twitter and Facebook. Okay. I'm probably most active on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and I have a website, johnmarkmcmillan.com. And I try and usually keep things current in all those areas. So follow me in any of those. Um, 
and the email lists, you know, because a lot of the algorithms don't go to everybody mm. and there's a lot going on. If people really want to know what's going on, go to the website and sign up for the email list um, because that's the best way to, to know what's happening, um, you know. Um, it's, it's the best way to know exactly what's happening and to know you're not missing out on sure. anything. So. Sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, awesome. Uh, well, thank you for your time and sharing uh, a bit more about your album and yeah, just your journey um, as well. And excited for where uh, where this tour is going to go this summer and fall. Yes, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it.